You're listening to the Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Today, we spoke with Professor Tim Bockett, a lawyer and Pentagon whistleblower who fought the system and won. His new book, The Cost of Loyalty, Dishonesty, Hubris, and Failure in the U.S. Military, details his personal experience exposing wrongdoing at the West Point Military Academy. We talked about the many whistleblowers making headlines for exposing wrongdoing, including those inside the White House. Professor Bakken also explained to us how retaliation against whistleblowers harms us all and why the age of retaliation is hurting our democracy in an era where the truth is under constant attack. Going beyond that, Tim makes a fascinating point about how secrecy fuels a lack of government accountability that ultimately affects our country's biggest political decisions and connects the current hospital shortages to that secrecy. On that note... I'd like to share something with you that I'm involved with right now. If you're looking for instructions on how to make a personal face mask or want to get involved sewing masks or distributing them, text MASKS, that's M-A-S-K-S, to 50409. That's MASKS, M-A-S-K-S, to 50409 to download a pattern or to get involved. Please take a listen to my interview with Professor Bakken. I'm here with Tim Bakken, who became a federal whistleblower at West Point, where he's a law professor. He fought the government over it and won. It's all in his new book, The Cost of Loyalty, which just came out under the Bloomsbury label in February. Tim, thanks for joining me in the podcast. How are you today? Hi, Scott. Thanks very much. So before we get to the book, I wanted to get your thoughts on another really famous whistleblower case, not the intelligence community whistleblower who set off impeachment, but the HHS whistleblower who came forward just a month ago or so revealed to the Washington Post that U.S. workers assisted coronavirus evacuees in California without using personal protective gear. The administration, Trump administration, promptly retaliated against that whistleblower. Can you tell our listeners how this coronavirus incident illustrates to you the cultural importance of whistleblowing and why it's so dangerous when it's supposed to be protected by law? Whistleblowing is an extremely important activity because it represents truth. That is to say, nobody would become a whistleblower unless he or she reported something that was truthful. That is, somebody can be characterized as a whistleblower legally, as in my situation, or somebody can be characterized that way informally because he or she speaks up. But somebody who's characterized as a whistleblower legally means that that person has said something that's reasonably true or actually true or has a belief reasonably that it is true. And then the government has taken action to retaliate against that person. In my particular instance, I had a case that was called Timbakken versus the Army. And in the end, a federal agency found that indeed I was retaliated against for speaking up and administered a corrective order to my employer, the U.S. government, the Army of West Point. But the importance of whistleblowing is that not only does a person report the truth, but the person reports information that is helpful to a democracy. We can't operate a full functioning democracy without knowing what the government's doing. That's why people who are on 
uh, position to know what's happening are so important. When they're retaliated against, however, that's not just something that happens to them. It's something that's reflective of the leaders in the government who are in authority and have a willingness to tolerate no dissent. Now, the examples that I've given in the book, The Cost of Loyalty, relate to the military. It's not just that a person is hurt individually, but rather when there's people in an institution and when there's a culture within an institution, and it could be the military, it could be a government agency, it could be a civilian institution as well, then there's the opportunity for abuse. That kind of abuse does not limit itself to one person. It eventually can pervade an institution. And when it pervades an institution, we see things that have very undesirable and sometimes atrocious effects. In the context of the military, we see, for example, things like the My Lai massacre occur in the Vietnam War. More recently, we see uh, killings in Iraq in Haditha, which were also U.S. soldiers, in this case, Marines killing individuals in a city. So your question is a good one. It's right on point. But I would frame it in a broad way, not just a specific way, because the broad way helps show us that we have particular problems in an institution, not just a problem with one leader or supervisor against one individual. You had mentioned a case that you had. Can you tell our listeners the story of the incident at West Point that caused you to become a whistleblower that's featured in your new book? I simply raised issues at West Point that I thought regarded favoritism and cronyism. And I was concerned that people were being treated generally unfairly at West Point. And I raised that through the chain of command. And then I alleged, and I think this was found by the federal agency, that because I raised that, I was retaliated against. But let me give you an example. This wasn't the one that I was interested at the time from the book that talks a little bit about how, if not favoritism, then wrong ways of doing things become entrenched in an institution. At West Point and the military academies, they have a system where they will project uh, themselves as selective institutions. What happens is they will count as the applicants, the high school students who are applying as applicants, but really the high school students did not really apply. They were people who went to a summer camp perhaps, or who indicated interest in the academies. And then the academies say that we've started a file on them. Let's say that the number of people on whom they've started a file is 10,000. And I've reported this in a recent article. It's also in the book, a recent article in the American Conservative magazine. They will say that they've had 10,000 applicants, but somebody cannot really be an applicant unless he or she formally applies and is rejected, accepted, or put on a waiting list. The number of people who fall into that category at the academies, each of them, numbers only about 2,500 per year, and probably 1,200 to 1,400 of them are admitted for an actual acceptance rate of over 50% every year. I document and report that 
in a 10-year period, the acceptance rate, for example, at West Point, the Army Military Academy was 56 to 70%. However, what the academies are doing is reporting acceptance rates from 9 to 11%. That's simply not the case. And that's an example of the kinds of things that I detail in the book that occur inside the academies and also inside the military. And moreover, I describe how those are the kinds of things that create a culture that prevent us to some great extent from prevailing in the wars that we're in. That's not to say we enter just wars or we should be entering these wars, but nonetheless, those are the kinds of characteristics that prevent America from winning. Find out more about Meet the Candidates 2020, my new book series of voter guides, authored by Dworkin Report producer Grant Stern. It's the only place you can read my opinion and a factual portrait of each major Democratic candidate in one place. Buy the book now at the link inside this episode's notes at grantstern.com or your local Barnes & Noble. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. You've written about how keeping government information secret that is otherwise released, which is a practice that has always happened but is getting worse in D.C. lately. Can you Mm -hmm. tell our listeners how the Pentagon's secrecy in our foreign wars causes institutional problems and impacts our country's spending priorities? Yes, I can use an example, and I'll take your excellent point about spending priorities. In the country every year, the Defense Department receives in current dollars about $740 billion a year. But that's not even the total amount because a lot of defense-related spending is from the VA and also from the Department of Energy, which operates the nuclear weapons of the United States, or at least supports the research and the development of the weapons. The total amount used for security in this country every year is about $1.2 trillion. What happens, the way that accountability is generated is through secrecy and through not telling the truth and not speaking up. We saw just in the past week, the acting secretary of the Navy firing a captain of a Navy ship for reporting the truth. The allegation was that he should have gone through the chain of command, but he had gone through the chain of command and that was unavailing. So he spoke up on the outside. And as a result of speaking up, that Captain Crozier of the Theodore Roosevelt carrier was fired. And that's very common in the military. There's no acceptance of free speech or speaking up. Let me give one example uh, from 2015 at a hospital in Kunduz, Afghanistan. In that situation, American soldiers in gunship were flying over an area in Afghanistan in Kunduz. They eventually attacked a hospital. They didn't do it intentionally. It wasn't that they were trying to injure or harm or kill anybody who was innocent. All the people in the hospital were innocent. But for 30 to 60 minutes, they circled with their gunship and attacked and killed 42 people in the hospital. It was an error, but it was a very serious error. However, what happened afterwards, after one army investigation and then another army investigation, is that it was reported that 16 
officers and soldiers in the army had committed wrongdoing or had made mistakes in regard to the Kunduz operation, the Kunduz killings. 42 people died, but the army has since refused to release the names of any of those people or the punishments that any of them received. Not one was prosecuted. They received admonitions, loss of pay, and the like, but the punishments were relatively small. It's inconceivable in regard to any other institution in this country Can you imagine a police force in a city in the United States that mistakenly attacks a building, whether it's a hospital or something else, and kills, whether accidentally or not, 42 people, and nobody suffers any criminal prosecution, and we don't even know the names of the police officers? It's absolutely unacceptable. But in the military, it's the norm. To this day, we have no idea who was responsible for those 42 deaths. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. You have brought up Captain Crozier. Late last year, Trump pardoned a convicted war criminal Navy SEAL and the Secretary of Navy, Richard Spencer, was forced out for sticking to discipline. Uh, Now Spencer's replacement just retaliated against Captain Crozier of the USS Roosevelt aircraft carrier and just tendered his resignation today. How do you think that the way the armed services handles the coronavirus pandemic and Captain Crozier in particular is going to affect the vast institution of the Pentagon going forward? I think I can give your listeners, Scott, a great example of how our focus on the military and how our giving the military such great resources and limiting other institutions affects us. If we were to walk down the west side of New York City today, we would see a hospital ship, the Navy ship Comfort, because New York City's hospitals don't have enough space for the coronavirus patients. We'd walk a little farther, we'd see the decommissioned aircraft carrier Intrepid. We'd walk a little farther south and go to the Javits Center, and we'd see the Army setting up a new hospital in a convention center because we need hospital beds in America for the coronavirus patients. Then we would take a different direction, and we'd make our way to Central Park, and probably a lot of People have seen the photos. They're white tents on green grass in the middle of New York City that serve as hospital beds because we don't have enough institutional support for our doctors and our nurses and our technicians and our hospitals. That support has gone toward the military and gone in other directions or it doesn't even exist. But the fact that in this country during this pandemic that we have to turn to the military and a religious organization to produce hospital beds in the largest city in the United States, the center of capitalism in the United States and somewhat the world is an indicator that we've somehow missed our priorities. And your question is an apt one. Where do we go now And my answer to that would be to say that we should have a better understanding now that our priorities need to shift from the military because 
despite having security needs, we have many needs that are domestic and are simply unmet. Right. And do you think that the military is going to have to make major changes to recover from the damage to discipline and truth telling coming from the top? I think the military should make uh, many changes. In a sense, the proof is in the pudding because in the four major wars that the United States has fought, only four major wars since 1945, Korea, North Korea is a communist nation. Vietnam is a communist nation. Their supporter, China, is also a nuclear power like North Korea and firmly communist. Afghanistan is controlled by the Taliban more now than it was when the United States entered in 2001. And Iraq is influenced more now by Iran than it has ever been, and certainly since the U.S. invaded in 2003. The results have not been good at all for the United States. Sometimes people will say that, well, they weren't losses for the United States because it's very difficult to concede that the United States loses at anything. But let's say that we don't call them losses, even the Vietnam War, which most reasonable people would consider a great loss for the United States. But let's say the United States failed in its mission there. Those places are in worse shape now and probably more dangerous to the United States than they were when the United States military entered. Therefore, the military should understand that it should allow people to speak up and it should be changed. It should be reformed so that we have freer speech inside the military, but also we have to, as citizens, and we have to insist that Congress will do that, stop perceiving the military as an almost religious entity in the United States and recognize it as another institution, an important institution that needs to be recalibrated. And let's pivot from the military's treatment of whistleblowing to how the president setting an example from the top down about how to torment and harass whistleblowers. I wanted to know, what's your opinion of how Trump treated Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman after he bravely stepped forward to tell the truth, his true story of corruption in the highest levels of government. And what lessons can we cement into law to protect the next Colonel Vindman or the next Tim Bakken? Colonel Vindman is an example of an important person because he was willing to speak up. But he also represents the reasons why we want to have people to speak up. And that is he was in a position where he was able to see what was happening. And when we have people in those positions, not everybody is as powerful as President Trump or members of President Trump's cabinet, but there are still people who are dedicated public servants who want the best for the United States. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman was a person who was dedicated and he was not trying to hurt the United States. He was fulfilling his duty in the same way anybody else who works for the government or any institution for that matter wants to help the government or the institution for which he or she works. If people are punished for speaking freely, then we have a situation which I've outlined in the book in great detail where loyalty is the top value and truth is far down the list of values. When you have loyalty over truth, you will lose the rule of law and you will lose the opportunity to find out what's really happening because people will be devoted to the person above them who writes their check or who controls their careers 
and they will have less devotion to the mission of the organization, whether it's a civilian organization, a public institution, or whether it's the military. Therefore, I would say to almost anyone, as long as somebody has a good faith reason for reporting what he or she believes to be true, then that person should have freedom to report that, and there should be very serious consequences for the person who retaliates against the truth tellers. The book is The Cost of Loyalty, link in the episode's notes. It's a must read, and it's timely. Professor Tim Bakken, thank you for your time. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure. I'd like to thank Professor Tim Bakken. Make sure to pick up his book, The Cost of Loyalty. I want to thank our producer, Grant Stern. If you could take some time to check out our organization, the Mass Now Coalition at MassNow.org. That's M-A-S-K-S-N-O-W dot org. You can check out our book series on Biden and Sanders if you want to learn more about them at MeetTheCandidates2020.com. You can visit our website at DworkinReport.com. Thanks again for listening. Onward!